When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Young athletes need the tools for success on the field and on the court. And now more than ever, in the arena of business. In the new era of name, image, and likeness, Athletic Architects is here for young athletes and parents to help prepare for your financial futures. Let Athletic Architects start helping you build your house. Visit buildthehouse.com and let's build together. You're listening to The Auburn Express. Powered by The War Report. All aboard the AM departure from Platform 334, The Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. What's up, War Report family? We are back with another great edition of the Auburn Express podcast powered by the War Report. It's Thursday. Joining me, as always, it's Mike Mack and Memes. I got my guy, Auburn Memes, my girl, Brandy Mack. I'm Mike G. And we have a special guest today, Chris Marler. From the from the podcast. What's the name of your podcast, Chris? <laughs> it's dark. Um, College Football Uncensored Podcast. And uh that. Yeah, that from that and then um and Earn Funquist on Twitter. That's right. Uh if you follow him on Twitter, uh he's a funny guy, mostly trolling Auburn at a high level. Uh I'm mad at it, but I'm not mad at it. Chris joins us today to give us some outside perspective on the Auburn program. But we're gonna start off. We got a game this weekend. Auburn plays Ole Miss. The three and three Auburn Tigers take on the Fighting Lane Kiffins, uh, and uh, we want to talk about Auburn's chances in this game. Real, real quick here, guys. I, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time here. Uh, Auburn is a disappointing three and three to start the season. Uh, they're coming off a blowout loss to Georgia. Uh, Georgia's doing that to a lot of people, uh, but uh, Auburn managed ten points. Uh, offensive line took some hits, guys. You know, what are what are what are Auburn's chances against Ole Miss on Saturday? Brandy, I want to hear from you. You're our resident odds odds expert. If you're betting this one, how do you feel about this game on Saturday? Yeah, if I'm betting this, I'm laying the points with Ole Miss. I think the line's at 14, 14 and a half right now. Um if, if you can get Ole Miss minus 14, I, w- I would definitely take that at that key number. Um, you know, the key to this game really would from Auburn's side is to figure out a way to stop Ole Miss's offense. They're pretty high ranked in a lot of different stats um, in the league on the offensive side of the ball. So they're third in scoring offense in the league, fourth in total offense, second in the league in rushing offense. They run a very fast tempo offense. Um, and I think a key player on Ole Miss's side of the ball is their running back, Judkins. He had mm. um, 581 yards and eight touchdowns on the season. He's the second um, – in the in the league in rushing yards so yeah you know if, if our defense can't find a way to to stop this high-powered fast tempo offense it could get ugly on saturday that's kind of God, let's <laughs> let's stick there for a second talking about defense i feel like personally when you watch these auburn games the defense isn't playing as bad as is projected on the scoreboard because they just can't score any points uh, again, they hung in there every game they've been in at halftime. It's been like a one-score game or, or a close game at halftime, uh, only for the defense to tire out and get run off the field in the second half. Uh, Chris, from an outside perspective here, you know, should Auburn fans have any hope Saturday yeah. versus Ole Miss? <laughs> okay, see, and what's weird about this is I talk about this with memes a bunch. Is I feel like I've actually been more almost pro-Auburn this year than ever, and I've, I've thought that Harson wasn't going to be on the hot seat. Now here we are, and you hear Kiffin talk about it in this press conference this week. And kind of, so it's just become a running joke, which sucks. Auburn, a program like Auburn should always have hope. I mean, just should always have hope. And we've seen Ole Miss struggle times. They struggled against a Tulsa team, even though that offense is 
very, very good and very different than how Auburn is going to be. If you're Auburn, you have to do what you haven't been able to do all year, and that is win the second half. Mm. They like, and that sounds almost cliche. Brandy and I talk about this a bunch from a gambling standpoint, but it's there's a few bets in the SEC this year that have become almost system plays for me. And one of them is taking whatever the second half is of whoever Auburn's playing. I did it against LSU and I did it against, I'll, I'll do it again this week with Ole Miss at six and a half because I think it's free money. Um, Ryan Harson's just been really bad in the second half of games, especially in the fourth quarter. So you have to find a way to not just be in it in the first half because it's, it, at this point, I mean, y'all are, y'all are up 17-0 against LSU, and I'm hammering LSU money line the entire time because it's just the way we've seen this play out so often, and now they're mm-hmm. going on the road. I don't know how that – I don't know if they can play for 60 minutes like that. I do think they have an answer at quarterback, though, finally. Dude, what a sad fucking sentence. Like, like hammering the money line on the other team in the second half. Um, it's like a foregone conclusion that Auburn just isn't going to score any points in the second half of any of these games. Right. Um, and they have not been able to counterpunch the counterpunches is what I've been saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, once teams adjust, Auburn has not been able to adjust. Uh, memes, jump in here, buddy. Talk to us about Auburn's offense on Saturday and what we reasonably can expect from the Tigers with is a much beleaguered offensive line. And, you know, a a young quarterback who's doing his best. He was under a ton of pressure against Georgia. They registered zero sacks on him (laughs) under the circumstances, which is quite amazing. But he is by no means not running for his life. What can we expect on offense from from these guys on Saturday? Well, first and foremost, swear jar. From your last, your last, uh, last take. It's been that kind of season, man. It's it's been that kind of season. Um, my mom is listening. She's like throwing holy water on her iPhone, listening to our (laughs) podcast. But I mean, this is enough to make the 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 holiest in 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 the holiest of men swear. Is it not? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm at this point where I'm just like, this is Auburn football is making making Mike's mom just real upset right now. So. Look what look what y'all look what y'all caused to happen. Her, yeah, her baby ba- baby boy swearing on the mic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the uh, as far as the as far as the game goes, uh, and I hate to say this because uh, last week I was uh, anti bugging, and I guess I guess I still am. Maybe that's just regular bugging at this point. But the game honestly went exactly how I was expecting it would go. Mm. I had mentally pretty much. Per- prepared myself for this for probably the better part of the last 12 months and like i i hate that it's that way and i feel like so many people like knew that was coming i mean for months it was all oh, georgia that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a beat down and it's like always hilarious because like no matter how much you prepare for it like you get beat 42 to 10 like people go ballistic and it, it's awesome even mm-hmm. though like three days ago they're like oh man you know they're gonna kill us i don't even care where the hell that game's going and then the second stetson bennett runs like a 60 yard touchdown people are like fire everybody fire leave them at the tarmac like all that stuff uh it's just it's fan behavior just never never gets old but yeah yeah i mean the offensive line i and i know i've said this i didn't think we could go backwards from 2020 yeah but i thought 20 i legitimately if you told me like hey 2020 will probably be the worst auburn offensive line you'll ever see in your lifetime i'd have been like yeah facts that's probably a fair bet I, I just that is the fact that at, I thought worst case scenario. So maybe this was me booging all off season that hey, this offensive line will be at worst just what they were last year. A little nervous the Brahms out, but I was like, hey, you know, Tate, he'll he'll probably pick it up in time. There may be a little setback, but overall, the worst case scenario, they'll be what they were last year. At best case scenario, they'll be marginally improved enough, which marginally improved enough probably could have been at least seven or eight wins especially given the outlook that the SEC West has currently. And it was it's not only just a, a slight regression. I mean, it is just a major leap backwards. And I mean, it's not guys that don't have the skill. It is just guys not picking up blocks, doing everything. And that is yeah. just putting Robbie Ashford in a horrible situation. I mean, he was 13 for 38. But how many of those missed passes were just throwaways because he had nothing else to do with the ball, which is right. what you're supposed to do there. But the fact that you had to go on the road and you had to throw that ball nearly 40 times, that's that's not great. And we look back at Auburn, recent Auburn-Georgia games and similar narratives of having to rely on one side of the ball, but then, oh, run it with Tank, run it with Tank. Well, 
they uh, that didn't work so well either because uh, those rushing numbers, well, do we really need to go into those? Uh, Tank was, uh, let's see here, 10 for 19. So that's an average of 1.9. That's nothing against Tank. He's getting swallowed up. I mean, Jarquez crazy. got a whopping one more yard than he did for 20, and Robbie led with 52 yards based on just a, uh, a lot of just quarterback scrambles that were there. But needless to say, um, completely stalled out on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, a lot of that is in Auburn, and also you can't take away the fact that Georgia's really good defensively, and it's not really too hard to uh, draw up a game plan to outcoach this offensive staff. So that's what oh, I saw man. over the weekend. Mike? It's it's not too hard not to draw up a game it. plan to, to just show up this offensive staff. You led me right into the last thing I want to talk about with this game because I don't believe Auburn is going to win on Saturday. Um, and as one of the biggest Auburn homers, I can tell you reality just has to set in at this point. Uh, this is not a very good uh, or even decent offensive football team. And how much of this do we lay at the feet of the coaches and the play calling? Like, you got to kind of know your offensive line is what it is. Is there any way, Chris, you can anticipate for your line to play this bad? And as somebody who pays attention to Alabama football, mm-hmm. let me tell you what I hate when our fans say. I hate when I, I hate when Auburn fans say Bryce Young didn't deserve the Heisman last year. I hate I've never said that, Mike. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> see you? it on Twitter all the time. I see on Twitter all the time. Bryce Young didn't deserve, he wasn't the best player. And I just think it makes our fans look ignorant and stupid and like they don't watch football because Alabama had one of the worst pass-protecting offensive lines in the league last year, and he put up historic numbers behind that line. So um, they they found a way to game plan and, and, and call plays around the weaknesses that that line had in pass protection to the tune of their quarterback winning the Heisman. How much of this do you lay at the feet of the coaches and saying, hey, you just got to know what your team is, understand what your skilled players are capable of, and right. call a game that gives them a chance to win? Chris? I just want to let you all understand right now that that you said it was one of it was the it was ranked 120th in the country last year in sacks allowed. They gave up 41 sacks. That's I mean, insane. That's insane from a Bama offensive line. Um, I, so I, I got so sidetracked from the Bryce Young uh, slander that I have to get back in here. No, it's, I, I think so. What, what what I don't get with this offense is you've got two running backs. You've got arguably one of the best one-two punches at running back. That you've had in, I mean, I don't know, probably maybe since I, I, I know I'm going to misspeak here and I don't want to sound stupid. So it's got to be like over the last decade, I think. You have Tank Bigsby, who's one of your best running backs you've had. He's easily the best, like most talented since you had Carry on Johnson. You, you, you've had like Jarquez Hunter, who's like a game breaker in a lot of ways. It's hard mm. to get them the ball. I don't know how, what scared me about, about this weekend, it said a lot more about Georgia than it did about Auburn. Robbie Ashford is when he steps on the field, he will be the best or one of the best athletes in the field, no matter who he's playing. Like best facts. he will, he will step on the field against Will Anderson. He will still be arguably one of the top three to five, probably top three players on that field that day. Right? Like he is, he's a phenomenal athlete. He wasn't able to get outside a lot uh, against that that Georgia defense because of their speed. Um, so at some point, you have to put it on that. I, I stopped hoping this this team would be able to run the football. I think you and I kind of got into it, uh, Mike, because I, I was not into it, but but I was like, I don't understand why you don't run the football. And you're like, because there's nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nowhere to go, man. Like, like that they had that stat about about Tank who had nine he had 44 yards rushing and he had 63 of it after contact or something stupid. It was yeah. like, how does that happen? So I don't know how you do it from a play calling standpoint. The play calling does need to, to be a little better, but I just don't think you'll have enough. You know, I didn't watch any of that game. And granted, I was celebrating my girlfriend's third birthday of the week uh, during all that. So I, we had been drinking a bunch, but like, I, you know, in Athens, I, I don't remember watching any of that and been thinking like, man, like, like if, if Auburn had a better play call here, they would, this would have been busted open. You know what I mean? It just kind of felt right. like they were overmatched and, and they honestly hung in there for a decent amount. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, listen, uh, I've noting how bad Auburn has been in run blocking, which is why I think running the offense through Tank and Jarquez is an impossibility. I've I've watched this offense at times and just wondered if like Tank banged all the offensive linemen's girlfriends or something, <laughs> because they're not blocking for him 
There's something's going on there. Something weird is going on there. And they've taken significant steps back from last year. So, uh, you know, memes, Brandy, chime in here for a second. You know, what what hope, if any, is there? Let me note that LSU marked a significant change in offensive process from the first few games of the season. They rolled out a whole different game plan. I talked to Robbie Ashford this week, and Robbie was telling me, he was like, Mike, teams are, they're intent on setting the edge against Auburn. They don't want us to get outside. That's the only success we can find on offense is when we get outside. So we've got to find a way to creatively get the balls to the playmakers in space. Uh, But it's really hard. Georgia is a great defensive team. What do we expect, guys, on Saturday from Auburn, and is it realistic for fans to have any hope that there could be a third offensive pivot to try to show Ole Miss something that they haven't put on tape yet? You know, I don't even know at this point, like, what our offensive identity is. Um, mm. Usually when you have a weak offensive line, you run a spread offense. And correct, don't really know what Auburn is doing on offense. Like, you look at it, and you're like, okay, they're running – they're at least the last week against, or sorry, two weeks ago against LSU. They did in the first half, you know, have a quick pass offense that looked better. And then the second half, I felt like we saw a totally different offense or LSU just figured it out and made adjustments. And then the Georgia game happens and it's like, this looks like a totally different offense again than what we saw the week before. I think Brian Harson and his staff are still trying to figure out their own identity on offense. And so I don't know what to expect um, on Saturday. Uh, I think if we want to have any chance at winning this game, though, we have to get a defensive touchdown or a touchdown uh, off of a defensive, basically a turnover, essentially. Okay. That's kind of that's kind of what I see. Because right now, like, like you said, if you look at our defense, the scoreboard makes it look a lot worse than what they're actually playing. The issue is our offense is on the field and right back off the field. So our defense doesn't mm-hmm. really have time to rest during games like they should and need to be to be able to perform at their best. Um, Cause I think our defense has gotten a little bit better since the beginning of the season, not necessarily to where I even expected it to be yet. But I think some of that is in part because our offense is just off the field so fast. Uh, okay. So uh, Brandy believes that Auburn must sacrifice their firstborn and pray for a miracle on Saturday to win <laughs> memes. What do you think? How does Auburn, how do Auburn fans have hope on Saturday? Well, I just need to, interject one quick little point from something you brought up earlier Mm. not me searching bryce young on my tweets to see my top tweet saying (laughs) can we all just agree bryce young isn't a heisman quarterback (laughs) (laughs) and surely 80 people wouldn't have retweeted it and 973 wouldn't have liked it oh my god i I I don't can you also do a double research and and figure a double search here and figure out what my response was and how many f words were involved in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll uh, yeah, I'll definitely um, I'll I'll definitely look around, but and I I would also be lying if I didn't say that there there might have been some other very well engaged tweets along that neighborhood, but um, we can we talk about that another time, but uh, we're gonna have to circle back on that one, yeah, yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but um, no, no take backs. Anyway, so are we talking about um what what this outlook looks like this weekend for Auburn versus Ole Miss? I think I'm mm-hmm. ready. I don't want to be ready, but I think I'm ready. Okay, one, two, three, let's go. So looking at the schedule here, and for me, I'm going to boog again because I anti-boogged so much last episode. So I'm going to be like the bastion of hope because I know all you pessimists aren't going to have any good thing <laughs> good things to say. So okay. somebody somebody's got to rise to the occasion. <sighs> uh the one thing here is Ole Miss's schedule through six games has been like really, really bad. I mean, who like who yeah. could just like have a better like starting SEC play with Kentucky and Vanderbilt? Now, granted, Kentucky's really good right now, so that's a little bit of an asterisk, but still it's Kentucky and Vanderbilt, which also was after playing Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, and Tulsa. So it's not like Ole Miss has had a just brain beater schedule, but also there have been plenty of games in there that they've like struggled with and have not really passed the eye test very well, mm. but also they're six and oh. So it's like, which way do you really want to look at it? It's like, are we looking at six and oh, or are we looking at the eye test? And they really should have tripped up in that Kentucky game. Now, granted, this is a better Kentucky team than most decades when you would refer to Kentucky as uh, what they would normally stack up as an SEC play. But all the same, you had struggled to Vanderbilt. You had a wire beating game that was pretty much self-imploded by Kentucky 
And there were some other games in there, like you were pretty neck and neck with Tulsa for a while. So Ole Miss is loaded with a lot of transfers. Now, statistically speaking across the board, as Brandy had kind of mentioned earlier, there's a lot of good stats, but there's also a lot of new players on this team. You got a quarterback named Jackson Dart. So that's like a, I mean, that's with an X. That's a tier. Yeah. With an X too. So that's a top tier. That's a top tier quarterback name. So you, you really got to be uh, careful betting against Scott that he's right about 63.6% passing right now, 1300 yards, eight TDs, five interceptions. So, Decent numbers, not world-beating numbers, but they're decent enough. Uh, Rushing-wise, Ole Miss's total rushing yards, um, thank goodness I didn't come prepared or I would have actually had to have known this. um, uh, Intervene, elevator music. Brandy, do you have that handy? They're second in the league in rushing offense. They're second? Are they they behind Bama? Mm. Yeah, they're second in the league in rushing offense, and they're – Essentially, like their star running back is Judkins, and he's having a pretty yeah. decent season. Yeah, I, I just realized like I was talking about rushing. I was like, oh, I don't even have that pulled up. So there I go, yeah. looking like an idiot. But that's a great segment to follow up what I said about the Bryce Young tweet. So uh, just sticking on brand. Uh, so where Auburn, I think, really has hope, and like this is this is really grasping at straws right now. But I mean, it's solely just like the odds of like compared to Kentucky and Vanderbilt, like top to bottom, Auburn is a more talented team than they are. Now, granted those teams, even Vanderbilt might be better coached right now, but if you just talent for talent, tit for tat, Auburn's got better guys on the team. So Mm. this is going to be the most talented team that Ole Miss has faced. So maybe we'll actually see uh, what they can do when that um, talent gap is a little bit more um, uh, skewed in that direction. I mean, this is an Ole Miss team that, most of the players that are still on this team had a uh, field day with last year, so at least for a half. It's going to be a matter of, are these guys going to wake up and what's the game ca- game plan going to be? And at this point, it's going to be, what does the mental look like? If these guys can just shake off these past few weeks and wake up and say, hey, we're ready to go because LSU, not well coached right now. A lot of issues. There's still a lot of talent on LSU. Auburn hung with them. I wouldn't go as far to say that Ole Miss is as talented as Auburn or as LSU if you're just looking at guys on the depth chart. Now, once again, they are better coached. But can Auburn come in and just play some physical football and have just somewhat of a competent game plan? And once again, going back to the whole, what's Robbie Ashford going to do? Can they do it? And are these guys that have been kind of banged up on defense and some of these you know, linemen who we lost at really deep in that position anyway – can they just come out and just do just enough to like, hey, can we average better than 1.9 yards rushing with tank? So mm. uh, <clears throat> Auburn's got to play scrappy ball. And I mean, I, <laughs> this is where I'm really grasping at straws here. Like at, at some point, Auburn just got to like at least upset somebody. And like, I, I know like it, we're, we're in a really bad place if like that's that's the take we're taking. But like, that's kind of where where it is. Like they're, they're at least going to get one more SEC win. And there's really no other reason for that than just like, yeah, probably. Law, yeah, yeah. Law, law of averages. <laughs> right. Brandy, like, like they'll Brandy. probably get one. So hopefully, hopefully this could be that one. Brandy, you gotta. Yeah. So since meme sunshine pumped a little bit there, my only tidbit of sunshine pumping here. Chris mentioned how Auburn has yet to cover a second half this season. Um, Ole Miss only scored three points in the second half against Kentucky. So that is my Mm. only kind of sunshine pumping little bit of hope there is that the one team that Ole Miss has played, um, that is a decent team. They didn't, they lost to South Carolina this past weekend. They didn't have levies, but they're a decent Kentucky team. They scored three points in the second half. So that's my only little tidbit of sunshine pumping there. It is possible to win the second half against this Ole Miss team. Um, but you know that, yeah. I don't know how we do it. Hopefully, we can do it. I don't have the answers to that. It's gonna take, it's gonna take some luck going in our direction. I think um, is basically where I'm getting at. Do you know, you know how many points Kentucky had allowed all year in the second half going into that game? How many? Thirteen. Wow. Wow. Would it kill you? Would it kill you? Pump any sunshine, Chris? I mean, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been doing it all since the summer. That's how we're all friends, idiots. Um, okay. All right. Fair I, I don't mean to, I'm only calling memes an idiot. Um, no, bingo, so, bingo card. I think, I think that like, <laughs> yeah, only, second only memes. Thing, yeah, Brandy's you, a woman and I'm black. <laughs> you can't call us names. <laughs> I think, I think, we're that, protected. I think that you guys can do 
I think you guys will be able to do stuff a little bit early on. But Ole Miss, the, the thing that scares me about Auburn in this game is that because there is a path to hang on to it because Auburn Auburn is not a great second-half team like we brought up, but neither is Ole Miss really this year. They, they're averaging under 14 points a game in this half against um, FBS teams. But they they like they jump on you early. I know what happened last week at Vandy, but like this is only this is only Auburn's second game on the road. And you think about some of their last games away from home. You had the game against Houston and Birmingham Bowl. You had the South Carolina debacle where you're up 14-0 in the first quarter. You had the game against AM, which is, you know, they were kind of outmanned, but you're still like at that point, what are you guys like six and two going into that AM game? And, and you only put up three yeah. points. So that's where my concern would be, is just putting points they, on the board. They could have come out of that weekend inexplicably in control of their destiny in the West. Yeah. And just flopped it. So, you know, again, Auburn versus Ole Miss this weekend. Guys, Auburn has taken on the mantra, if you can play bad, we can play worse. So don't worry about losing the second half. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Um, Going into this next segment, this is really why I wanted Chris here. Um, There was, there's an idea. There's an idea that has been perpetuated by our guy, Bamani Jones on Twitter, that Auburn, is a bad job for any coach. Now, I want to get into why this may or may not be true. I have my feelings about it, but I want to spit some stats. Auburn has had four... uh, Brian Harson is Auburn's fifth coach since 1999. Uh, His predecessors were Tommy Tuberville, who was the coach from 1999 to 2008, uh, Gene Chizik was the coach from 2009 through 2012. Gus Malzan was the coach from 2013 to 2020. And Brian Harson is the last coach taking over in 2021 and possibly going to make it through 2022. Now, when we look back at these coaches' records, Tuberville did all right at Auburn. Uh, he beat Bama a lot. So we'll start there. Uh, he also did not make a habit out of consistently losing to LSU and Georgia. So he beat those teams a fair amount, too. Uh, he went to eight bowl games. He won five of them. And the undefeated 2004 season, probably, guys, in my eyes, that that's the best season in Auburn, in Auburn football history. Uh, I thought uh, 2004. Was the best best season in Auburn football history. Uh, you know, you had four first round picks on that team. And uh, I'm not saying Auburn would have beat USC in uh, in the national championship that game, but I believe they would not have lost 55 to 19 like Oklahoma did. So uh, Tuberville did some things. He had a good stretch, but he got fired in 2008. Ultimately, when his team went five and seven, there was a faction of boosters that wanted Tuberville gone. Five and seven was a good excuse to get rid of him, but I think things were trending down at that point. So you could reasonably say it's time to move on and try something else. They hired Gene Chizik. This was an unpopular hire. This is we want a winner, not a loser. (laughs) All right. But Gene Chizik in year two delivers an undefeated team in a national championship with one named Cam Newton. Uh, He followed up with an eight and five season in 2011 and then ultimately was fired. 0-8 in the SEC in 2012, 3-9 overall. Enter Gus Malzahn. He he inherits a team that is custom-built for what he wants to do. By the way, just got to jump in here for a second. If you talk Mm -hmm. to Chizik about this ever, I love Gene Chizik to death, even though I'm a Bama guy. One of the nicest human beings and the hardest workers I have ever met and been around in my life. But he he will maintain to this day that that team was built – from his recruiting classes, and and he knew he what he had coming back. That's I'm just throwing that out there. The 2013 team, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's wrong. Yeah, I don't think he's wrong <laughs> at all. Uh, he now, my he just didn't have a quarterback. 2012 would have yeah. been a fine enough team if they had a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to that in a second. And um, receiver, but, I guess, but but uh, essentially, add Nick Marshall. And that's your 2013 team. I mean, he went out and he right. found a quarterback. That's been Auburn historically. Find a quarterback, make it to a championship. Uh, Gus enters in 2013, and he, right out the gate, three seconds from a national title. I was there. Chris, I was there. 
We traveled all the way to Pasadena. We spent ridiculous amounts of money on tickets. I don't even we want to stood tell you about there. My tragic story from that night. It'll be depressing <laughs> as shit for everybody. Memes we, love you for that. And we stood there with hope for most of the game, only for Gus to do what Gu- only Gus does best, which is blow it in the big game. Uh, he follows that up in 2014 with an eight and five record. Uh, Auburn entered as a preseason number six, finished. 22nd in the AP poll. Entered November uh, in the top four. Yep, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, he was an AP high of number two mm-hmm. that season. Uh, 2015 comes along. I'm going to spend some time on this one, guys, so we have our facts straight. This was a number pre- another preseason number 16. Uh, this team finished unranked. This was the Jeremy Johnson debacle. This was the heir apparent that never was. So uh, Jeremy didn't do what a lot of people expected. And at this point, people maybe started wondering if Gus can develop a high school QB. 2016 comes. uh, Auburn enters unranked. They finish 24, but they get blown out in the Sugar Bowl by Oklahoma. They finish 8-5 and on the season. Respectable, but not the Mm -hmm. ending anybody had hoped for. Uh, 2017, uh, this was uh, extension gate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Auburn takes down number one. Georgia and number one Alabama in three in, in a three week span. They make it to the SEC championship game. They get blown out in the rematch versus Georgia, but they finished the season 10 and four. They started a preseason number 12 and ended 10. 2018 comes along eight and five. 2019, this is the year of the Knicks, a nine and four. We saw some promise maybe from Again, uh, the prodigy that we thought Bo Nix was. 2020 comes along, 6-4 and four on an all-SEC schedule, and the powers that be had had enough of Gus Malzahn. So Gus got eight years to do the job and then enter Brian Harson. Guys, Auburn has had five coaches in about 23 years. And I've seen other schools, Chris, move on from decent coaches, like when Georgia moved on from Mark Rick, I don't think anybody would argue he was a bad coach. But they could never get over the yeah. hump under Mark Rick. And they decided to take a chance on Kirby Smart when they got mm-hmm. a chance. I think that that paid off for them. Yeah. Uh, you know, is, is the narrative that you cannot be have sustained success at Auburn or that you're not going to be given enough time to do the job and build at Auburn? Is that, is that narrative accurate? And if it is or isn't, why or why not? So the second part of that is the only sentence, sentence that would be accurate. Like, like you can't have sustained success. You're living in the, the, the longest-running nightmare for, for Auburn fans currently. Like, you, you're in a 15-year window where Nick Saban has dominated college football and still managed to lose three national championships, right? Like... You know, which is said that, but anyway, um, <laughs> but like, but you, you've like you, you've had three years in a row. It's like LSU, Bama, Georgia have won back to back to back, and you have been ranked in the top ten. Let me double check this, but I believe you've been ranked in the top ten. Um, I know in 2019, uh, you were preseason 11 in 2020, and you got up to number seven at one point before that Georgia mm-hmm. game. So, and then, you know, last year you were, you were at a high of like 12. So you've been ranked somewhere around there. Um, and then you had to watch your rivals go win it. My, my thing is, is it's, it's, it's a crazy, fascinating kind of conundrum for, for Auburn fans to find themselves in because you hired Gene Chizik, who was five and 19. And if anybody tells you, well, they're off, their defense was great at Iowa State, it wasn't. It was ranked in the in the hundreds in three out of the four major statistical categories. It wasn't. He wasn't a great football coach. That was the perfect Auburn hire because they 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 hired him to do kind of what Terry Bowden was going to do, in my opinion, which was hmm. we're going to put you in success in a, in a position to succeed, but we are going to run things like, and that's that's kind of what Auburn has always been about. It's like Texas, but in the SEC, in terms of the boosters run the show, and that's just kind of feels like how it's always been. But sustained success, you could argue that, like, I mean, like, you made it to a national championship game under two coaches in a four-year span. You could have made it one in 2004. LSU prides themselves on, we've had three different coaches win us a national championship in, in the last 20-something years. Auburn's not far from that. Like, they're as a program, they're not far from that. So sustained success... 
you've been able to weather this storm of how good your two biggest rivals are that are on your schedule every year with, with Bama and Georgia. The only thing for me is giving people time enough to succeed. Um, it's it, You could argue both sides of it because if you look at some of just like, oh, since the Pat Dye coaching days, right? Mm-hmm. And I know we were bringing up mainly the top 20, but if you look at the, since Pat Dye, Pat Dye's first year had a losing record. Uh, Tommy Tuberville's first year had a losing record. Yep. I understand what Gus Malzahn did. I understand what Gene Chizik did. I, I, I am still blown away by what Terry Bowden did in his, his first uh, two years. But you've had all five of your coaches, even though and, – and Brian Harson's a losing record, obviously, like last year. So you've had three guys with losing records out of your last six. But you've also had everyone before Harson that has played for some type of championship and some sort of title by year three at the latest. Right. Pat, Pat Dye won an SEC championship in year three. And I, I say, I shouldn't say played for a championship. They played for a championship or went undefeated because Terry Bowden went undefeated in year one. Tommy mm-hmm. Bowden was in the SEC championship game. Or I'm sorry, not Tommy Bowden, Jesus. Tommy Tarville was in the, the SEC championship game, I think, by year two or three. Um, in 2000, it might have been, it might have been year two. I think it was, yeah, I think it was year two. They actually made, they won the West inexplicably. Right. Yeah. And but so yes. then, and then you, and, and then you have, Gene Chizik wins a national championship. Gus Malzahn wins an SEC and, and you know, and three seconds from winning a national championship. So there's really an argument to be made why, like, you not only, like, the, the, all, the, all the unreasonable amount of time that, you, that, that people on the outside feel like you're giving these coaches, there's kind of a leg to stand on with that argument of, like, this is why. Because we expect success and we expect it early, and here's the track record that shows why we expect it. Because of all the success we've had early on with these other guys. Right. So let's talk about Gus for a second here, um, because that was this is the gift that keeps on giving as far as this narrative is concerned. And the idea that, you know, Auburn shouldn't have fired him. Now, I know you're uh, going with this. I love this. I'm I'm (laughs) on the same page. Gus came in in 2013 and did exactly what you said. Year one. Just so close. Mm -hmm. Um, But by every metric, he underachieved based on that on that level. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he got back to one SEC championship game and got blown out. Right. Uh, Auburn gave him a massive extension off the backs of him beating Georgia and Bama while they were both na- ranked number one in back-to-back SEC games. And An those two teams played for a national title. Right, yeah. Those two teams went on to play for a national title that year. Right. Uh, after that, uh, you know, 2018 was there. Jared Stidham stayed one more year and left. And then 2019 came, and I said this. After Auburn let Malik Willis go, uh, and they decided to move with Bo Nix, I told everybody that Willis, we didn't have a podcast at this point, but I told anybody who would listen, Gus Malzahn just bet his career on Auburn that Bo Nix is going to become an all-SEC QB. Without a doubt. That's what he just did. And it didn't happen. By every metric, it didn't happen. He and but he has no track record of working with freshman QBs and making them into all conference performers. So, Memes and Brandy, I want you to jump in here. You know, did I did did Auburn screw Gus and was it time to move on? And you know, is Brian Harson's non success does that does that have anything to do with whether it was time to move on from Gus or not? Yeah, you know, it. I think it was at the I think it was time to move on from him and that there was a combination of things what you've already said but then also there was you know the recruiting piece of it as well um obviously our offensive line is extremely depleted when it comes to talent and what's interesting is in 2013 Gus inherited the same recruiting class so that 2012 recruiting class was ranked 10th in the country and mm-hmm. then that 2020 recruiting class was also ranked 10th in the country What's interesting about that, though, is the types of players that Gus would recruit were a lot different than the types of players that Chizik would recruit. And right. I think that's what makes the biggest difference here um, mm. is the talent that Harson inherited was a lot different than the talent that Gus inherited. But Harson, at the beginning of the season in his first year, really wasn't that far off from being a contender in the SEC West. He was a hurt Bo Nix away from, from essentially challenging Bama for the the SEC West. Um, and whether that can be blamed on Gus or not, or whether that can be blamed kind of on Harson himself, you know, he was dealt the hand that he was dealt. And, you know, 
I just I question the in-game stuff that Harson has had up to this point, but I, I don't I don't think that I don't think that Harson's lack of success is fully tied to us moving on from Gus, I think is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Um and then as far as like the argument for like is Auburn a bad job or can a coach have sustained success here? And Chris just touching on, you know, Alabama having the success it has had under Saban and stuff. You know, every SEC West team has to play Alabama. Every CS, every SEC West team has to play LSU. So, and then every SEC East team has to play Georgia. So our three biggest rivals who all have more recent national championships than us is every school that also plays against those schools every season. Are those also bad jobs too? Because that's a really common argument. And is Auburn a bad job? Because you have to go up against LSU and Alabama and Georgia every year. That's an extremely common argument in, in the national media when it comes to that. And I would just argue, so do a lot of other teams in the league, you know? Right, right. So right. I don't think Auburn's a bad job. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm biased here. But I think that the national media thinks that our boosters are different from any other school. And they're really not that far off from schools like Texas. Was like Texas A&M. Um, I mean, the list goes on. Michigan, I think, is a good example. Wisconsin, who just fired their coach. Their boosters at these large schools have their hands in the football program the same way they do at Auburn. Yeah, I listen, would disagree um, with that. Well, let's come back to this for a second because I want to hear from memes. But I do want to interject here that there's an idea that, again, Bomani Jones was pushing about why Auburn shouldn't fire Gus talking about the three wins that he notched versus Bama in the eight years that he was here. Right. And I think that your program is in a sad state when you're basing the success of the coach on his losing record versus right. one rival. <laughs> Give me I, a break, man. All right. So, I, Oh, Chris, I, I just want, I was going to say just real quick. There was a, there was a, there was a conversation I remember having one time at work like with the before I started working SDS, it was like a podcast. I remember I was like, you guys should be pushing this, this, and this and promoting this, this, and this. And they were like, what is your, what is the, uh, what is the ordeal? Like, why are you so upset? It's not like they took away your role or something like that. And I was like, that's not the fucking benchmark. Like me mm-hmm. losing my job. Like that's not the benchmark for Auburn going three and six against. That's not the benchmark guys. Yeah. Like, like, Bomani, I don't know, I don't know who needs to hear this, but like, that's not the fucking benchmark. Excuse my language, memes. But I'll put all the quarters in the swear jar. But it's like, <laughs> if you're Auburn, your benchmark is not. Well, man, at least he won those three games. That's more than any other coach. Who cares? Like, right? Go beat him. Like, you want you want to go beat him consistently and, and do the stuff that Tubville did and all like all that kind of stuff. Right, but they, and they were epic. You know, some of the, we're talking about epic wins here. Yeah, that he had, but also. And one of those years that you beat him, you beat Saban, he went on to win the national title. And that's the year you, you beat him the worst, arguably. Yeah, and you didn't even win the conference that right. year. Right. You won the West, but you didn't win the conference. You know, memes jump in here, man. Like, you know, this 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 idea of what was success under Gus Malzan, you know, put it in perspective for us. Uh, what should what kind of success should should be or let me phrase that differently. How should Auburn fans define the success of their coach? And okay. what kind of results should they be happy with? Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And <laughs> on the on the Gus take, I know we, I'm going to hit this real quick. I know we kind of talked about this before the show. And it's unfortunate that that's the narrative we come back to. And I mean, I think that's just, it's a clickbait narrative. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of national people do it. But also... I think a lot of Auburn people are in their feels right now. So like it kind of pulls on some emotional heartstrings and gets them thinking. And I know we kind of said this before, and there were people who were cheering the streets and beating down the doors to have Gus fired and when he got fired. But now those same people are also kind of saying like, well, you know what? We would probably be in better shape right now than we are if he'd stayed. And I do think and I don't think that's a I don't think that's a debate worth having. I don't think it should be should we have let Gus go and we did, or would we have kept him? Would we be better shape? I think both can be true. I think the timing was good. I think you could definitely have a fair argument to say Auburn would probably be in better shape if he had stayed. Now the trajectory and the hope would probably not be where folks need it to be, but it's a pretty big low point. And really, it just fundamentally comes down to the timing for Gus was what it needed to be, and it was what it was, but also just maybe the fact that the right hire wasn't made with some other factors that played into that 
uh, steering in the direction it was. So now going to um, what is success, and it's ironic because if you look at the schedule, and I know the second half stats get tossed around like candy, and this is like going to sound even really silly to say, and I, I promise this isn't um, full bogan right now, but if you if you put one second half touchdown for every game Brian Harson lost, people are probably talking about an extension right now because he has a mm. he has he won the SEC West last year. He beat Alabama. He went so to the much. SEC Championship. No telling how that goes. Assuming you, we can't. Obviously, they wouldn't have played Houston in that scenario. But let's just say there was a thirteen seventeen score for whoever you played. You win your bowl game. And I'll even say they would have lost the SEC championship. And then this year you beat LSU and you don't look as ugly in the games that you barely won. And you at least have a closer game with Georgia and Penn State. Now, granted, that's that's a little bit of an asterisk, but it just shows how thin the line can be between rock bottom and soaring pretty high and how those narratives go. Oh my means, me, yeah, means let, let, let Chris jump. Chris is dying to say something. Oh, Chris, yeah. You know, okay. I love first half and second half stats, and I get what you're saying. You said it's it's kind of an asterisk right there. Uh, it's not kind of because it, the whole fantasy land scenario you just threw out there. It's not just that he's not scoring; it's that he's getting outscored so badly in the second half and averaging only three points per game in those games. And on top of that, this is like. If you date back before the Georgia game, before the Georgia game, going back to, I, I did a whole graphic about it. Mike told me to take it down. He's like, we get it, Chris. But like, <laughs> it was this whole thing. Um, it, like, you look at the second half numbers. And I remember looking at that the, your yardage drops off by almost 100 yards per, per game from your first half offense to your second half offense. You got outgained in every single one of those games by the opponent in the second half, except for South Carolina, who I believe you outgained by 35 yards total. Then you have you look at like the, the second half scoring. It's not that they just don't score in the fourth quarter, like like they don't score touchdowns. They don't score at all. You've had like the Georgia game was the first time. Every, I'm sorry, it was it was um they had going into that game they had not scored a single point in six of their last nine games in the fourth quarter versus SEC opponents. Mm. Not a touchdown, but a single point. Right, and it's just but it's wild the fact that what I was. The, the moral story there was it's wild the fact that one touchdown per loss yeah. for this season and last season means a difference between an SEC West division championship or potentially like getting fired from your job with a yeah. potentially historically bad like program season. Yeah, the only thing I'll add, but the, the only thing that I will add about those stats though is is that um, assuming that they do score more. Um, there's like a causality to how a game flows, right? And so we cannot assume that the rest of the game would have gone the way it did if Auburn had scored more because, you know, teams adjust and they do things differently right. based on how, how you're playing, right? But, you know, point taken, I, though, about how close how close it was. I just try to, like, I try to make, like, a like a lighthearted, just, like, a really easy little thing, <laughs> and then everybody wants to dive into the Auburn multiverse here and go full <laughs> Doctor Strange on me. It was, it was you just did like that. A, it was just a little, like, it was that just a little baby, me. baby, baby standpoint. And Mike was even asking me, like, what was the parameters of success? And I didn't even get to answer that question yet. But, you know, uh, I don't know anything about parameters, bro. Yeah. Uh, geography. Jump, jump in here. What, what does success mean and the Auburn job? And before you answer that, I want everybody. This is to me or, I, this I, to me or Chris? Uh, this is to you, memes. Okay. Because uh, before you answer this, I want to. I just want to spit one stat at you. Out of the multiverse. In Gus Malzahn's eight years as Auburn head coach, they were ranked in the top ten at some point during every single one of those seasons. That's insane. Every yeah. single one of so, those seasons. All right. So success. And let me get to. And this is a rant I love talking about. And for any of the poor uh, poor listeners who meander their ways over to hear me on Twitter spaces. Um, you definitely probably heard this before dating back a really long time. It has been very rare after the, well, I'll even say the 2006 season that you saw two consecutive years <clears throat> of good Auburn football. Like you didn't see Auburn mm-hmm. be good two years in a row. They're either good than bad or good than average, below whatever it may be. And you can make an argument for 2013 and, and 2014, but once again, it was the wrong direction. You didn't see Auburn go from like 
really good to even better. It was like 09, right. it was kind of like, eh, oh my gosh, 2010, drop down 2011, actually plummet in 2012, and then blast back off into space in 13, kind of hover in 14, and then just plummet again in 15. You said this ups and downs, ups and downs. Cap by 2017, you win the West, and then down again, really bad 2018, a little better 19. It was, that, that has been what it's been like for Auburn for the last, I, ironically, since 2007, which is hysterically ironic because that was Nick Saban's first year. Not that that really has to do with this. And um, it still it still goes into my, and I still haven't done it, but my doctrine of um, how Nick Saban ruined college football, book coming soon. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, it's ironic that that was the year because after 2004, you had like a good 05, kind of had a little dip down in 26. You had a little bit bigger dip down. You kind of had this, downhill slope which inevitably led to the end of tommy tuberville really capped off by 2008 but going to the success of it is auburn has not had two good years two plus good years of football in a row since a nice flash in the pan of 2004 five and six you just haven't had consistency you've had these just unprecedented especially from a national perspective like these major flash in the pans, these miracle seasons, mm-hmm. and Auburn has just been built upon this team of destiny. And we've got to move away from the team of destiny model and build a consistent product. And I think that was what a lot of people had issues with under Gus's tenure was it was just like, it was either team of destiny or just like very average. Yeah. Uh, for the record, 2004 to 2007 was the winningest stretch of Auburn football yeah. history. Really? All right. So, you know, yeah. So what you're talking about, you're talking about 13 and 0, 9 and 3, 11 and 2, and 9 and 4. So to answer the question very quickly and just surmise it is just success would just be a consistently well built product year over year. Just keeping the floor and the ceiling, like don't have these just massive gaps between the two. Or if you do, it's going to be raising the ceiling really high. And that mm-hmm. has been the problem. And that's why there has not been sustained success. And that's why you've seen programs that should not have done what they did, given the advantages Auburn had 2010 and on, such as like Clemson and Georgia, because they just Auburn did not have the recipe to continually sustain the success. Well, you, you right? Had your okay. So on the throw to Bama too. I think the thing was yeah. weird real quick. It's like, and I'll just I'll say this just like real quick. The thing that's like weird and, and that concerns me about the Harson thing is that stretch from 2004 to 2007. You go. Like whatever, thirteen and zero. You have nine wins, then eleven, then nine wins. You're a top fifteen team, top fifteen team at the end of every single one of those years. But what's scary to think about is then then you hired Tony Franklin as your offensive coordinator, and that that's the other part of it. it just shows you how big some of these coordinator hires are. It's like not just the right. guy in charge because that guy. What you started doing, and I remember watching this happen in real time, and just be like just maniacally cackling at my at my. Parents' house, and I'm like in college. I'm bubble, watching Bama bring in Julio team. Jones. It like like they're bringing in Julio Jones, and then y'all are bringing in like, hey, we got a five nine, hundred and seventy pound three star from so and so, but he's a really good athlete, high school quarterback, plays basketball, and you're like, oh no, like they're bringing in like, I just I worry that that's the kind of like recruiting that's also happening right now. That's going to be like the end of Harson. Yeah, that was that. That was a Tuberville way, though. He would go after two stars that nobody wanted, like Jay Ratliff. That they 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 had a they had a history of turning those guys into NFL draft picks. Right now, I do want to make a point about um, you know, and we're running a little long here, but I, I I think this topic deserves some some time. Yeah. Uh, uh, is the is the idea? I mean, when you look at Gus, now remember, I just told you every single one of his eight seasons, Auburn was ranked. In the top 10, their lowest top 10 ranking during that stretch was in 2016. They were an AP number eight. They were as high as number eight. And I think those were the Sean White years, guys. So, I mean, you're talking about some pretty mediocre football teams. They had a number one overall uh, high school recruit in Byron Coward during that stretch that ended up transferring out. The amount of talent, perceived talent, that came through this program for the amount of success that he had was disappoint was underwhelming. But I want to point out, and this is another thing that I hate when we talk about the three wins that Auburn had versus Saban during Gus's time. Two of those were fluky as fuck. Right? Glad the kick six. It. The kick six, while we love that moment, 
and it will forever reign in my heart. And it, it, it just, it is the most satisfying way to be your biggest rival. Um, it's even more satisfying if you're beating them more consistently, but it was fluky. 2020, like it or not, was a fluky win. They needed two pick sixes to win that game. Auburn did not score enough offensive points to win that game. First it's off, kind of how also they... needed that extra field goal at the end of the first half, which we're not going to get into. Again, again just really fluky wins. And so whenever Auburn wins this game, this Iron Bowl, it's it's a miracle. And whenever Bama wins, uh, Sons last year, it's a mm-hmm. blowout. Right? But we're giving him credit for beating Saban a handful, like a few times, three times, but consistently getting ass blasted versus LSU and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't understand it. So, I mean, Brandy, I want you to jump in here on this. I, you know, again, I want to come back to the idea of what does success look like? What does sustained success look like? I don't think any fan expects a championship every year, but if you're going to recruit, um, do you know that in the playoff era, Headed before Brian Harson's arrival, Auburn was the only school that, cons- that that recruited average top 10 recruiting classes, but never made the playoff. And that eight-year stretch, they were the only school to average top 10 recruiting classes, but not make the college football playoff. Yeah. What is the expectation here? What, is, what, what should we be hoping for? Well, just wanted to touch on one more thing before I answer that question, because you were just talking about how fluky 2013 was. In 2010, when Gus was the offensive coordinator and we won the national championship, that was with one of the best players that has ever stepped foot on a college football field. Like, keep that in mind. So, when everybody... And still, like, won half the games by a touchdown or less. That's how good he was. That team was not great when you look at it from, like, an overall perspective. But Gus, as an offensive coordinator, and likely why he got the job as head coach is because of 2010. Well, well, hold on. Wait, let me add this. I want to say they won like some crazy amount of games that where they were down by two scores. Yeah, like it was nuts. And that was the world. We're 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 trashing the national championship team here, but (laughs) trashing them. But I mean, yeah, yeah, that was the worst scoring defense to ever win a national title in college football history. That's a fact. They gave up more points than any national champion in college football history that year. So the year was pretty anomalous, but you had, you know, that's an eight-win football team without Cam Newton, right? Like, I think we can all agree. Right. Eight wins or worse without Cam. So So going back to what you, the the main question about sustained success. One, we need, we don't need Auburn Jesus. We need Auburn sustainer. (laughs) Um, And the way that Auburn Ralph Nader would be what you're looking for. (laughs) I mean, the way that you really get there is going to be in this day and age, one up front. So the offensive line, and that's going to happen off the field and recruiting for the most part, getting somebody basically building a staff that knows how to develop players. Because I think player development and recruiting is sometimes a lot more important than what's actually happening on the field. Anybody Mm. that knows the game of football can build a good scheme and a good game plan, but if it doesn't translate in the game because of a lack of talent or a lack of development, there's not much that you can do there. And so somebody that can come in and win consistently on the recruiting trail, that to me is probably like the number one priority because we can compete with LSU. We can compete with Ole Miss when it comes to winning on the recruiting trail. We aren't right now. So that mm. to me is like the, the number one thing is recruiting. And then two from their player development. Because Gus did bring in talent for the most part. He never developed a good part of that talent that he brought in. And it's yeah, you know things that got him fired. So, yeah, you know that you know when Captain America, how like he gets into the machine. And it turns him into the super soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Gus yeah. had a machine that did the opposite. <laughs> like, <laughs> like our these recruits would come in super soldiers and leave scrawny and weak, it felt like. But again, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then just building a staff, too, that knows what they're doing and is competent and fits the culture at Auburn, fits the players that you're recruiting to. Um, I think, uh, and it sounds such like a vanilla answer, but like we haven't had a coach that's come in and been able to do all of that on a consistent basis. Right. Um, right. So that I think that's like the most important thing as for like Auburn's future. And if 
that person will walk into our lives um, through Auburn football. I'm not sure, but I, I think it starts with it starts with recruiting and it ends with building a staff. Yeah, I will say, listen, while Tuberville was good at developing players, I mean, it was primarily before the social media era. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he didn't have a lot of the uh, the the Twitter, the Twitter recruiting to re- compete <laughs> with and all this stuff. And they were really good at picking kids that nobody else wanted because, right. you know, recruiting services were pay for play essentially back in the day. And if you paid, you could get your kid ranked on Scout or any of these other recruiting services. But, um, you know, Tuberville, I, I mean, his his record with putting guys in the NFL was was clear. And at least they could say that the recruiting the development part was there. When Saban entered the equation, uh, you had a guy who could do both mm-hmm. at a very high level. He not only could recruit, and he let's listen, let's be clear. If he never leaves LSU for the Dolphins, LSU is what Bama is today. Without a doubt. Yeah. We're sitting here talking about eight LSU championships or something crazy like that because he was building that monster. And look at LSU terrified. before he got there. Like Okay, right. This is the that's the best point. Like this always drives me crazy. I've gotten so many arguments with Jacob Hester about this because it's like LSU always had traditions. Like, no, no, LSU always had fans and fans going to games. And that's very different than tradition because mm-hmm. in the 11 years prior to Saban getting there, they were they had three win or three seasons with winning records at wow. the 11 prior. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So lots, lots to do, lots to think about there in terms of, uh, again, what Brandy's talking about in terms of recruiting and development and trying to put those two pieces together. Memes, I want you to get the last word here on this about whether, whether or not this is the, you know, the, the expectations, is it a realistic expectation to expect to be in contention in November and win at least half of those games every November? Like Auburn should be two for two for two every November. I mean, you've got Georgia, Bama. Um, there's no way you should be 0 for, 0 for in November. But what is what is a realistic expectation for fans? And how do we as a fan base start to change the narrative that this is a bad job and a coach is not going to get the, the the support or the time or the resources to do the job and build a program? So a few few uh, questions. Are we talking this November or future Novembers? Future November. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just yeah, had to yeah. clarify that. And are we so we're talking like Novembers that don't involve Alabama and Georgia away like they did um, once upon a time. Like yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I think two for two in November, no matter whether it's home or away, is realistic, right? Right. Like, so let's we'll use this, ex- and it looks like it seems like the way the schedule's playing out that the November games for Auburn are going to be like Mississippi State A and M. Uh, cupcake and then Alabama. So, yeah, I mean, I think given that scenario, you're you're a bad season or a rough stretch should be 50-50 there. I mean, if you're losing more than two games in a November, you got an issue there. I mean, really, honestly, if you're losing more than two games any month, we've got an issue. But you, the, and I think we saw it a lot last year. Uh, people's memory, people kind of short term memory and recency bias is a big problem in football. And if you, if you come out of a season slipping, people are going to remember that. And that narrative follows you like a dark cloud into the offseason. So mm. if you can have a bad season, but you come out with a handful of good wins, you got people feeling, hey, they're going in the right direction. And that was the issue with Gus and he's losing all those daggum bowl games is people just like, it, that just it followed them in the offseason. I know people say bowl games don't matter. And I mean, yeah, there's there's some arguments to be made, but just that just that feeling and that cloud and just that kind of un it's the energy that doesn't really show up on the stat sheet and you don't really know how to quantitate to talk about it, but it's like totally there. And that's why I think November is extremely important too, because like that's that's the kind of energy and mojo that you um run into recruiting in the offseason with. So yeah, I mean you gotta you gotta have if you're if you're going less than two and two, and if you're going two and two consistently, another problem. I mean, that's like a all right, we had a we we had a little patch, we're good, we went two and two, but we really yeah. need to be three and one or four and oh. Mm. Is is Auburn a bad job memes? No, I mean it is very, very evident, and it's just it's a funny, like I said, it's a clickbait narrative, as I said. We're gonna get that hashtag going that this is a bad job and that people don't want it in this weird sort of like it's funny that you've got national media people like picking up the phrase powers that be. And it's like this, this booster big bad guy thing is just like getting like extremely overblown. 
And like I said, it's it's something that gets clicks. It gets people talking about. These guys love the drama of it. I mean, just foot, football teams are not as fun without the drama and the narratives that surround it. And you, if you can't really get it, you got to kind of manufacture it. And that's, I think, a lot of what's going on. And until proven otherwise, until you can shift that narrative, you're going to, and that's been Auburn's issue, is they're letting that narrative be controlled and dictated by folks outside and not inside. Uh, they'll get it right. Uh, they'll change They'll change the trajectory of this and steer the ship right and uh, just show everybody that, yes, this is a top uh, fringe top. We'll say top 12, is, is, and that kind of gives you a little bit of room for room for uh, interpretation job in the nation as far as uh, coaching goes. Mm, listen, guys, is Auburn a bad job? I don't know, but I know I have a great job. That job is talking to Brandy Mack. Auburn memes and our guy Chris Marlowe. I want to thank Chris for joining us. Chris, tell people where they can find you and where they can hear your content. The podcast that you, as you said, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun. I always enjoy talking to you guys. Uh, each What's it called? Day. What's your podcast? I'm telling called? you, it's college football. College football uncensored. Um, CFB underscore uncensored on Instagram and Twitter. But yeah, college football uncensored. We have episodes that come out every Sunday night and Wednesday night. Um, and just listen, I know Brandy is your resident, uh, what do you call it? Odds expert. I'm just going to pat myself on the back. Go follow SDS on YouTube and my weekly right. best bets. Cause I'm 56 and 19. Killing it. Killing it. Mm, all right. Part, listen, so. listen, I love a little humble brag from our guests. Chris is invited to the cookout. The cookout is next Thursday. Mike Mack and memes. This is the Auburn express powered by the war report. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. We'll be back at you guys next week. It's a bye week. So we're going to be talking probably about some stuff we don't want to talk about if Auburn gets blown out versus Ole Miss on a bye week. Guys, we're signing off. As always, War Eagle. Chris. Chris. Chris, you got to, yeah. (laughs)